Good morning, Creekside. Did you hear that? Good morning. Uh, Steve asked me to come up and share about the Ethnic Unity Conference that some of us went to last weekend, Friday and Saturday. Um, I just wanted to share with you my experience a little bit there. I was given a couple minutes, so I'll try not to go over that. I wanted to tell you the format of it, too, because as a, a person who likes to know what's on the calendar, you may want to know what it was like just organizationally. So first, I'll start with that. Um, it was a Friday evening to Saturday afternoon in Portland. Um, it was a group of churches putting on a conference so that we had a space to talk about ethnic unity and what that means for the body of Christ in the church and how we love one another, how we um, move toward one another as brothers and sisters in Christ first before we think about where we're from or our ethnic background, um, even our gender. Um, we just can move toward one another in love because I see you as a sister or a brother. Um, it opened in worship. We had worship sessions throughout, and there were five sessions on different topics with different speakers. So the first one was a really good one on a biblical worldview of ethnicity and what that means as the nations. God made us. He made us people of all kinds, and he has a purpose in that. Sessions two through five were, I'll just list them, um, orthodoxy and justice, how these are inseparable concepts. Asian American Christians and ethnic harmony. We had a Q&A panel so that you could send in questions. There were many questions um, that they were able to come up and answer live. And we also had the American church and God's heart for the immigrant. So this was the one that stood out to me. I am a law enforcement wife. Um, be a good time to introduce myself. My name is Corey, if you haven't met me before. <laughs> I always thought I'd forget who I was. I just forgot to tell you. <clears throat> my name is Corey. My husband is a state trooper, and so the immigration topic just struck my heart personally because I think I have some um, prejudices or ideas of what I think is right according to the law, and it wasn't in love. And so when I asked God to search my heart, I think he revealed a hardness, self-justification about me knowing what's right or best, and just a genuine lack of compassion. And so it, it touched me personally to be there. Um, I read in Ephesians 2.12 that you are to remember, you, are no, um, you were at that time separated from Christ. This is, I was separated at one time, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And we're all in that place before we come to Christ. And he just convicted me to see others that way no matter ethnicity or background. Um, yeah, that's how it touched me personally. I would encourage you to go next year. Put it on your calendar. It's a trip up to Portland, and you might want to get a room so you can spend the night and go to the Saturday conference. But it was worth it, and I learned just a lot more about the body of Christ and how we can love one another better. I am um, opening us in the book of John. Today. So if you could open your Bibles to John 17 and stand with me for the word of God. <clears throat> We're starting in verse 1, reading Jesus' prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you 
since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the spirit might be fulfilled, or that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for seeing us and praying for us while your um, ministry was on earth. And I just pray that um, your word would be something we can hear with our ears and that we see with our eyes, that you would change our hearts with um, your living and active word. Lord, I pray that you will give Steve the words to speak and um, that you would be glorified by our mourning together and our service and love to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And in your name, Lord, I pray that we would move toward one another. Um, Yes, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Corey. You guys have no idea how nerve-wracking that is, so I appreciate you doing that. And, you know, and I wanted Corey to share just because, for one, 
the conference specifically relates to the text that we're going to be looking at today, which is the last six verses of the prayer that Corey read. And for two, because I would love it if all of you would try to make it next year. It was such a such a great thing for me to be able to just sit under the teaching of God's Word on these, on these things and to hear from people who have like a completely different experience than me, like, and being able to learn from them. And I think uh, like you would be strengthened as people and our church would be strengthened, you know, if, if uh, you guys make it next year. She said to put it on the calendar and um, I know that they're trying to figure out the best date to have it. So I don't think there is a date yet, but as soon as we find out the coming up date for it, we'll let you guys know so that um, we, we can even have a bigger group from Creekside this next year. It, it, I think you guys would be all challenged and strengthened in different ways. So, but that being said, you know we are just uh, we are studying in the Book of John. If you're just joining us, and we are going to be in the last like six verses of of what Corey read, verses 20 through 26. And she read the entire prayer of Jesus. This the chapter that she read was this long prayer. It's the longest prayer we have recorded of Jesus. And and in it, he's praying right before he leaves to go be betrayed in the garden. Look what it says in 18:1. Uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron where there was a garden into which he himself entered and his disciples. Now Judas, who was betraying him, knew the place. So this is Jesus' last prayer. And Stephen, I think I'm a little loud. If, if you could take me down so that when I get wound up, I don't blow everybody out. <laughs> Be like the, for those of you that are old enough to know the, what was it, the Memorex commercials with the dude sitting in the chair and the lampshade. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're old enough to know that. So, <laughs> that back in the days where there was these things called cassette tapes, um, those days. Uh, the, uh, <clears throat> but Jesus is praying this prayer, and so as we get to listen in on his conversation with the Father, we get to hear something of God's heart for his disciples. And these last six verses are going to be the last words of prayer that he speaks for his disciples. Um, the, the prayer in the garden, I don't even think is even recorded for us in John, but it's, it's what was on Jesus' heart for his people before he walked out into the darkness to be betrayed and crucified. You know, it's a, and, and kind of the, we, we talked about this last week, but up in verse, um, verse, I think it's verse 11. Yeah, in verse 11, he kind of articulates his prayer um, in, in a single sentence. He says, And I am no more in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. I'm leaving them here, he's saying. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So what Jesus is, there was two parts to the prayer. Last week we looked at what Jesus was praying about when he was talking about keeping them in the name. And, and we saw how Jesus was talking to the Father about our relationship with the world, how we're, not, how we're to be in the world but not of the world, that we're not called to withdraw and isolate ourselves from all of the people around us, and we're not called to just be assimilated and conform to the people around us, but we're called to live distinctly as God's people under his authority and in, in conformity to his word. Um, as agents of the gospel to everyone we come in contact with. You know, Jesus actually kind of ended that section with that idea of like, I send them into the world. It's a strong word that he doesn't just leave us here. Some of, some of you probably wonder like, why doesn't Jesus just take me home? And why has he left me here? He hasn't left you here. He sent you here. And we talked about that last week. And this week, we're going to look at the second half of that prayer um, where he says, keep them in your name, 
that they may be one, even as we are, we are one, talking to the Father. Like Jesus is praying for a deep oneness within his church, that they would experience this deep and inseparable unity that's, that's the same as the Father's unity with the Son, which is just mysterious and deep, and like I can't even comprehend what that's like. But Jesus is praying that prayer for oneness for his church. You know, of all the things that could have been on his mind to pray for us, that's the, that's the thing that he ends with, that they may be one. And we're going to see it as we go through. He ends with this desire that his church in totality would experience and model a great oneness before this world. Our text is going to break up into three sections. The first one, in verses 20 through 23, we'll see Jesus' prayer. He's, he's specifically praying to that end when he kind of develops this idea of oneness in verses 20 through 23. We're going to see Jesus' desire in verse 24. Then we're going to see Jesus' promise in verses 25 through 26. I was about to have you stand and so I could read the scripture and pray, but um, I'm a little off rhythm today because Corey did that for me. So um, I'm just going to keep going, but like, give me a second to run that through my head so I know where I am. <laughs> so if you're just visiting with us, like, uh, yeah, that's my normal routine. So you may be seated. <laughs> so. So let's look at verse 20 in Jesus' prayer and, and, what he's, and who and what he's praying for. He says this in verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through his word or through their word, talking about the word of the apostles. You know, we talked about this briefly last week. I asked you all the question. When Jesus says he's praying for all of those who believe in me through their word, the word of the apostles, I said, who, who is that? And you said, it's us. And that's absolutely true, and it's good and right and, and like appropriate for us to like view these words that Jesus is praying as his specific prayer for you and me. It's this forward-looking, future-looking prayer where he's looking through the work of the apostles, through the establishment of his church, through the spread of the gospel, through the world, right down to us here today. Like he is praying for like you and me that these things would be a reality in our, in our life. But there's more to it than that. There is so much more to it than that. Because he says, he's praying for those who believe in me through their word, the word of the apostles. In that sense, it's a very narrow prayer. Like Jesus could be praying for anybody, but he's praying specifically for those who believe in the message that the apostles proclaimed. It's a narrow prayer, and that this is a prayer for all of those who place their faith genuinely in Jesus Christ. This isn't a, a universal prayer for kumbaya in this world. Do you guys know what kumbaya is? Again, that's the Memorex kind of age cutoff. I don't know. What's the, what, what would replace kumbaya for all of you, like Gen Zers, millennials? What is it? One village, like, yeah, like Hillary Clinton, uh, like the, takes a village to raise a child or something. I don't know. <laughs> this is a specific prayer for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ and, and believe in the apostolic message of the gospel. Like the message of Jesus Christ and our salvation and our oneness as Christians is anchored in Jesus and his work and nothing else. 
It is a really narrow prayer. It's for those who believe in Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, the, the, the apostles are really clear about this. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at, a, at the proper time. There is only one way of salvation. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and men, Jesus Christ himself, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So this is a prayer specifically for those who believe in the truth of the gospel. But in that narrowness, it is explosively expansive. Because look what Jesus says. I think it's in the first phrase of 21 who believe in me through their word, verse 20, that they may all be one. Every single one of them. Which means Jesus isn't praying for those who believe in the gospel and subscribe to the same political party that I do. Jesus isn't praying for those who believe in the gospel and like, like the same like football team that Taylor Swift likes. She's playing this afternoon, too. So. There's a whole bunch of layers to that, so forgive me. We've gotten Hillary Clinton and Taylor Swift in the same sermon. It's not that you need to believe in Jesus Christ and be the same ethnicity that we are or the same citizenship that we are, or, have, or care about the same passions that I care about. Jesus says, those who believe in the word of the apostles about who I am and what I've accomplished for them, that they all may be one. God has this desire for a oneness within the church that transcends all of the things that we tend to divide over. This is challenging for us. You know, in an age today where it seems like this seems like just like of all the things I preach, this is one of the ones that probably seems like the most ludicrous. Really? Like Jesus' heart for us is that we have that kind of oneness that transcends all of these like boundaries that Jesus Christ is all that matters. And, you know, since like, since, like, I think, 2020, you guys have lived through it with me. None of you are too young to have not lived through that. Like, it just feels like the division in our nation and our churches and us as people and our relationships with people has just been jacked up on steroids. And what that means to me is that, yeah, this is a challenge, but it is an unbelievable opportunity because not only is this a narrow prayer that for those that are genuinely face their faith in Christ, not only is it explosively expansive, but it has a purpose to it. Look what he says down in verse, um, verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Now here it is, that the world may believe that you sent me. There's this purpose in this, this prayer of Jesus that the oneness that we have as Christians that transcends all of these boundaries that we tend to divide over would be so compelling and so unique and so deep 
that it would be proof positive to the work of Jesus Christ, that the world would know that, he sent, that the Father sent him. In fact, he says it again in verse um, 21. I in them and you in me, no, verse 23, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them even as you loved me. What Jesus is saying is, is that the, the character that we should have as Christians with each other, the character of our oneness and our unity and our love should be so deep that it's inexplicable apart from the truth of the gospel. And it proves to this world all around us that, that the, Jesus came from the Father, that he died in their place, that he loved them to the end. And it says it's wrapped together with his love, this unity and love is wrapped together because he, he actually speaks about that in verse 24 where he says that, that they may like experience the love that you had with me before the foundation of the world. Jesus began this night with his disciples teaching about this. And in John, where, you don't need to turn there, but in John 13, 1, it says that Jesus, knowing he was departing from this world, loved his disciples to the end, to the uttermost. And then, he, and then he stripped off his clothes and he got down on his hands and knees and he washed their feet, serving them and cleansing them and like humbly caring for them. And then he began his teaching to them in John 13 and he says this, John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The love and unity that we're called to as Christians is something that is characterized by love, and it's proof to this world that, that we're disciples. You know, Francis Schaeffer speaks about these things, and this was, I mean, realistically, I mean, this was literally the first book that I read um, after becoming a Christian. I probably read it before I even read my Bible, um, which I wouldn't recommend doing, um, but I had kind of a rocky start <laughs> to my Christian faith. Um, and the first book I read was this, like, a little book by Francis Schaeffer called The Mark of the Christian, and, and I, I still remember, like, the experience of reading that and, like, the vision that he paints for the church of, like, this oneness. And, and he says this in that book. And I would recommend anybody read it. I, in fact, I bought five copies, I think, that are supposed to arrive sometime this week from Amazon. I don't know why it took more than, like, six hours. But um, <laughs> So if you really want one and you can't afford one, I think they were $11. If you, uh, but if you can't afford one, come to me. I have, I'll have extra copies. He says this, the church is to be a loving church in a dying culture. How then is the dying culture going to consider us? Jesus says, by this, all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. He goes on, in the midst of the world, in the midst of our present culture, Jesus is giving a right to the world. Now listen to this. Upon his authority, he gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born-again Christians on the basis of our observable love toward all Christians. There's some weight to that. We should feel the weight to that. We should feel the weight to Jesus' words. Like Jesus is giving the world the right to judge whether or not you or I are followers of Jesus based on our, the visible love we portray about other Christians. He goes on. 
if we are surrounded by a world which no longer believes in the concept of truth. He wrote this in 1970. If that's true then, think how much more true it is now. I was three years old then. So I'm 56, I think, so, so you don't have to do the math. I know some of you were doing it. So, If we are surrounded by a world which no longer believes in the concept of truth, certainly we cannot expect people to have an interest in whether a man's doctrine is correct or not. But Jesus did give the mark that will arrest the attention of the world, even the attention of the modern man who says he is just a machine. Because every man is made in the image of God and has, therefore, aspirations for love. We see that all around us, right? There is something that can be in every geographical climate, in every point in time, which cannot fail to arrest his attention. What is it? The love that true Christians show for each other and not just for their own party. He continues. This is the whole point. The world is going to judge whether Jesus has been sent by the Father on the basis of something that is open to observation. Francis Xavier, I think, hits the, hits the nail right on the head. It's exactly what Jesus was saying, is that we have this, we have this unique opportunity before us today. If we can like come back and experience what Jesus has for us here, to have an opportunity to display the gospel that maybe, like I think for sure in my lifetime, has, that the opportunity is like at the highest that it's ever been because of the divisiveness in our nation. As long as we don't just fall prey to the world's schemes to get us to be divided. You know, so how do we get there? Jesus prays about that. And, you know, what's the path towards this? And, and he says this in, um, in verse... 22. He says, and the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. Jesus says this mysterious statement about glory and about how he's given the disciples glory. You know, if you remember earlier in the prayer, he prayed that, that the father would glorify himself. Look at John 17 verse 1. Father, the hour has come glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. This glory that Jesus is talking about there and the hour that he's talking about is the hour of his crucifixion, the hour that he's going to walk and bear upon himself the sins of the world in the greatest act of like loving self-sacrifice that anyone will ever like, like ever do. The path to glory that Jesus is experiencing is one that involves embracing like the cross. I think that's what he's saying when he's saying, and I'm passing that glory on to the disciples. Like if we want to like drink of the glory of God so that we can be one just as they're one, the reality of that is we, we need to embrace the same spirit of humility and grace and self-sacrifice and love that Jesus had for us. That's where his glory was found, was in following Jesus. It was in following, like, not following Jesus, being Jesus and going to the cross. That we need to love each other in the same way that Christ loved us. John 13, 35. It's the new commandment. That's the way it's done, Jesus is saying. 
So here's the reality. Like, we need to really believe that his plan for us is to live in this unity that transcends all that the world uses to cause division and that his blood truly runs deeper than those divisions. When you look at your brother and sister in Christ, who might have different passions than you, who might have different political convictions than you, who might be of a different ethnicity than you, who might be of a different social economic status from you, who might be a different sports fan than you, you look through Jesus Christ and you realize, like, oh, they are my brother, they're my sister, and you move toward them, like Corey was saying, in love and in unity. You know, secondly, we need to believe that the life is truly found in following Jesus and that life is really found in laying down our lives for the sake of other people and laying down our preferences and our pride and our... You know, Paul talks about this in Colossians 3. Um, I have this on the screen, Colossians 3, 11 through 15. He's talking about the renewal that comes from Jesus Christ, how in Christ we're new people. And he says, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew... So there he's talking about these are like ethnic religious sort of like categories. For the Jew, it's a religious one and an ethnic one kind of baked together. There's no distinction between ethnicity and religious background, between circumcised and uncircumcised, between like what your religious practices have been or not been. Barbarian and Scythian. It's interesting. Most of these are opposites. Barbarian and Scythian are the same. The, the barbarians were, were kind of like the Germanic tribes. Like, I mean, it kind of was a general term, but specifically referred to like the Germanic tribes that were attacking the Roman Empire from the east, from the west. <laughs> the Scythians were like these, these people that were attacking the Roman Empire from like the steppes. And, and Colossae was like in Turkey, right in the middle. So it had the Black Sea to the north. It had the, the Mediterranean Sea to the south, and so its borders were really east and west, and these are the threats to the Roman Empire's borders to the east and the west, and they were kind of known for their barbaric, like cruel and vicious, uh, uncivilized like behaviors. So he says all the threats you have to the west, those barbarians, and all the threats you have to the east, those Scythians, if they place their faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? Something changes. Slave and free man, social position, but Christ is all and in all. It's like when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God comes within you and he begins this renewal within you, all of those like divisive like distinctions like pass away and he is all and in all. And then he talks about how to live that out. He goes on. So, as those who have been chosen of God. Think about that for a second. He's like, if you're a Christian, it's because God picked you. Like, and he picked some Scythians and some barbarians and some Arabs and some Jews and some like Latinos and some blacks and some whites and some Native Americans, right? Some Asians. You're chosen by God. He picked you for his team and you're put into this body together. He goes on. And you're holy, you're consecrated for his service and you're loved by God. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let me just stop there for a second. Think about those things. Compassion. Like you should feel like what your brothers and sisters who experience is 
and background is different than you, you should feel like what they're feeling. You're going to need to listen to them probably to like feel that. Kindness. Respond to them in kindness and in love and the ways that you would want to be responded to. Humility. Gentleness and patience. You know, at the, at the core of it all, in our interactions with other Christians, like, this should be what marks our, our actions. All of those things. We're consecrated, we're chosen, we're loved, so be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient. You know, and if you're, if you're uh, like, let me just stop here, because like, if, the, if your interactions with Christians that differ than you aren't characterized by that, I think you're doing it wrong according to Jesus and the apostles. And if you're just like, you know, on your free time, if you're just listening to podcasts or reading newspapers or Memorex tapes <laughs> that lack compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience and are just confirming your biases and inflaming your anger towards other people or your separation towards other people or creating that separation towards other people, like, I'd encourage you to, like, reconsider that. Because the Spirit of God wants to create those things in you, not the kind of stuff that, like, I, I looked up this morning online, like, what are the most kind of, like, biased news things according to, like, public opinion, you know? And, like, I won't even say it because I'll offend you guys. I'll offend you guys for the sake of Jesus, but not for the sake of media. So, but oh, oh, my, my voice is telling me, don't do it, Steve, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about, though. I don't need to be explicit, right? Whew, that's a rare moment. You guys should write that down. That <laughs> so. continues. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Guess what happens when you put Scythians and Greeks and Jews and barbarians and rich and poor and slave and free, all in the same church. For one, sometimes they have complaint against each other. Sometimes they wrong each other. And all the time they need to forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Somebody was asking in, our, in the Q&A, the question came up at the ethnicity conference. Somebody asked Shai Lin, who is a, I mean, he, he said some, some great stuff and is a great Bible teacher. He's a, he's a black hip-hop artist from Philadelphia. And one of the things he said when he was talking about this subject is that he says, I have more in common with the white homeschool mom who lives on a farm in Idaho who's a sister in Christ, than I do with my cousin in Philly who doesn't know Christ. But that wasn't what I wanted to share that he shared. Um, <laughs> but there's this, there is this like, calling that we have to forgive each other to bear with one another. That's what he was talking about. Like that idea of bearing up is putting up with each other for a long time. And when somebody asked him the question, well, at some point in time, don't you just like shut it down and like let it rip? Something like that. That wasn't, was, 
Yeah, when does your patience run out? And you just need to speak prophetically or something about it. Corey was more articulate than I am, so. And his, his words were this. Man, I'm just glad that Jesus doesn't ask that question about me. Just as the Lord forgave, so also should you. Beyond all these things, goes on. Oh yeah, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Think about that. And instead of letting division rule and separation rule and all of those like things that used to divide people rule, let Christ be all in all. Let peace reign because we've been called in one body and be thankful. Because when, when he does something like unique and diverse and, and explains and shows like the unity of the body of Christ in a way that is, is uh, unexplainable, that's, that's when the truth of the gospel is made real. Local churches are meant to make real the truth of the gospel. Now, there's some of you sitting here today, and it's a good question, because I'm, I'm sure that there's this question in your head like, come on, Steve, like, you can't be saying that nothing matters except Jesus. Like, isn't there a time to divide ever, periods, right? Anybody asking that? Really? Okay. <laughs> two people, two honest people. I'll forgive you. I have to. Um, And I'm not saying that nothing matters. Like, I'm not saying that. But, like, I think that sometimes we think that the divisions and the, the issues that divide people are way bigger than they really are. And I think some of the things that, that we feel are way, that, that we need to hold higher, are, we keep way smaller than they are. I mean, even Jesus himself here says, he, this is a narrow prayer, right? It's for those who, claim, who, who believe in the truth of the gospel through Jesus' word. Well, that instantly separates, like, creates this division within Christendom. Because within Christendom, there is churches and denominations and, like, people that have changed the gospel and believe a different gospel message. Like, Jesus isn't saying like, that there's going to be genuine oneness with them. He talks about that the, the disciples, uh, you know, in the passage we looked at last week, how they're in the world, but they've been consecrated and, and sanctified by his truth, that they've been made holy by the truth of his word. Like, but as I mean, Francis Schaeffer talked about this in his book, like we, as Christians, we need to hold the holiness of God like, and the purity of the gospel and the truth and the love of God simultaneously in our hands. And I think we, again, I think we make some things way bigger issues than they need to be and some things way smaller than they should be. And what we need to do instead, what we need, really, really need is the wisdom to understand, like, which is which. You're not going to get it through CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or... I'm just going to name out all of them so I don't fall apart into my other thing, like ABC News or Reuters or CNN. I never said CNN, but BBC, right? Are those creating in people a heart of kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience so that the bridges between like genuine Christians are, are being bridged, or are they just driving people apart? 
you know, they said this at the they said this at the conference too, and I've I've known it to be true for a while. Like, wisdom doesn't get you followers on social media. Inflammatory craziness does. And what God would say is like, we need to take like wisdom begins with the fear of Him. Like Jesus Christ is all and in all. Wisdom it belongs with like taking the truth of God's word and applying it in our hearts and learning how to live that out with other people. It's like living in humility, kindness, compassion, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. You know, as I was trying to think of examples about like how we think of some things higher than they think and some things lower than they think, for sure, the answer about the thing that we think is too low is the fact that Paul says, Christ is all and in all. That's a pretty big statement. He is all and in all. But yet, like, sometimes as, as American Christians, we make freedom our greatest, like, thing. And I, I think freedom from government oppression, like you saw this in 2020, is the greatest thing that I'm going to need to, like, resist. And no, Christ is all. Or we make, like, some social cause, like, the greatest thing. And we divide because if people don't, like, share the level of our passion over some social cause. No, Christ is all. And in all. And I was going to say to you that something, and I, I sat literally for an hour, like stuck, you know, like writer's block as I was trying to write my notes because I wanted to say something like, if you are more comfortable hanging out with a person in your own political party than you are with a brother or sister in Christ that is different than you, and I was going to continue, but I realized, no, that's, or if you're more, what was the other word I was like st stuck in my head? Or if it's easier for you to, da, 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 da. and I realize those are the wrong, that's the wrong paradigm completely, because it's not meant to be comfortable or easy. This is difficult stuff. That's why Jesus is praying for it. And that's why we struggle so much with it, because we forget what Jesus like desires for us. You know, I hope to. I have a plan like in a few weeks to be able to talk about these things a little bit more in depth. But the reality is this, is like, this isn't meant to be comfortable. It's not meant to be easy. When the Jews and Gentiles and the barbarians and Scythians and the slave and free and the, when they all got together, it was a train wreck. But they understood that Christ was all and in all. And they saw each other through that lens of him. And so they were willing to cross those borders in those divisions that this world creates in the humility of Jesus and be one. You know, it's true. It needs to be true here with us as a local church. It needs to be true in our relationships with the other local churches. I, I was blessed this morning. I, I was getting out to come down here and during the ice storm, a branch like broke off in my tree. And finally last night it blew out of the tree and landed on the sidewalk and was blocking the sidewalk. It was a giant branch. So when I went out, I was like, oh, I should probably drag it off the sidewalk. So it's on my front lawn if anybody wants to come pick it up. Um, <laughs> I've got my Christmas tree, too, and another branch. But um, <laughs> I don't have a pickup, so just you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, <laughs> but I was dragging the branch off my sidewalk, and, and this car, like, slows and is, like, slow rolling past me. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. And... Um, and the window rolls down, and it's my new next-door neighbor, who is the new pastor. His name is Zach over at Calvary Chapel. And he stopped to greet me, and, and we committed to pray for each other as 
we, as he headed off to Calvary Chapel and I headed down here and like the divisions that have that exist between churches don't have to be like, we're not in competition. I, I prayed for him on the way down. Like I'm sure he prayed for us this morning because Christ is all and in all. He needs to be true like here with all of us. He needs to be true within us as a city with other true Christians. Should be true around the world. And I think like, I think maybe it's a result of 2020, maybe it's a result of our own like biases or whatever, but I don't think we do a good job as a church like demonstrating the unity we have in our city with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We just don't. And I suspect that maybe because we're like so, like we're pretty similar group here, that maybe there's some things in our own hearts that maybe keep that, some of that like diversity that God intends in the body of Christ from existing here. It's my suspicion. That the Lord's going to have to do work on that. You know, we've only got two more points this morning. Um, For the sake of time, I'm going to kind of wrap them together because I knew we would be out of time. But like the second point is that Jesus desire for us. Because this is the thing. If you're like, if you're like wrestling with these things, it's easy to go one of two routes. It's easy to go either like this idealism of like, oh yeah, let's do it. It's going to be awesome until we have to sell what we have and give to like our neighbor, right? Or you just get cynical and be like, ah, oh, forget it, Steve. I mean, we're just going to, I just want to just attend here and have people like me and not have the wrong kind of people in our youth group and, right? <laughs> Eric's laughing. Somebody actually told me that once. Oh, we don't want to do that thing because that always attracts the wrong kind of people. <laughs> exactly why you should do it. And they're not here anymore. Um, <laughs> maybe I wasn't compassionate, kind, gentle, of all those things, but... It's easy to go one of those two ways, just be cynical or just be idealistic. And Jesus, these last two points kind of speak to those things. Look what Jesus says in, in his desire in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am. Now listen, in order that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Well, up above, he had said he'd already given us his glory. Right? And that's how we're going to like walk in oneness. And now he says, I want them to see my glory. Well, which is it? Well, what Jesus is saying here is he's talking about that day when, when we no longer see dimly, when, when like this, we're not tainted by like our sinful selves anymore, and we can see God and, and the love that's found in God like completely without any like bar barriers. So what he's telling us here is that the, no matter how deep your no matter how deep the fellowship and unity you feel, no matter how like genuine the love and fervent the love you might experience in the church, it is just a drop in the bucket compared to what will be revealed to us on that day when we will see his glory. So when, if you're one of those people who's like, well, I tried the community and then like everybody around me just sucked and so I'm, I'm done with it. You guys laugh, but like that goes on in all your hearts, Right? Yeah, it's going to. We're going to falter and we're going to fail. It's going to be imperfect. 
until that day when, we, when Jesus gets us home and we see it. And so believing that, believing that that's his desire for us ultimately and his desire for us like temporally is that we, we experience that and model that before the world should move us to persevere through all those difficult times and all those disappointments and all those frustrations and all those like betrayals of it. Like Jesus washed Peter's feet who denied him and Judas's feet who betrayed him. Because he knew where he was going. That's what writer of Hebrews says, who for Jesus, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising its shame. So keep our eyes set on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. So like Jesus' desire for us like should free us from this, this idealism that so can like derail us and Jesus' promise in verses 25 and 26 like frees us from, from cynicism. Look what he says. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made my name known to them. And look what he says next. And will make it known. Like this work that's going to go on through the word of the apostles to, that, that came down to us is Jesus making his name known. It's really interesting in the book of Acts, when it, like in Acts chapter 2, when it talks about Peter preaching this gospel, and it says at the end of Acts chapter 2, it says, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It wasn't the apostles. It wasn't the Spirit. I mean, that's true. But what Acts says is it was the Lord doing this work. He is making his name known. And then he says this, that the love that you loved me with, that you love me with, may be in them and I in them. Like Jesus is, saying, Jesus is making this promise. I'm going to make my love known. I'm going to make my name known. I'm going to continue that down through the ages until you know, I ultimately wrap up all of human history. If that's what Jesus is doing in the world today, that's what Jesus is praying for, like right before he goes to the cross. Isn't it worth fighting for? Like we shouldn't just get derailed out of cynicism over this whole thing because Jesus is making his name and his love known through churches just like ours as we seek to walk in obedience to him. Aaron, why don't you come up to close us? And I think there's a lot here, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of questions that I couldn't get to today, but at the heart of it, I think if we're content, if we're content in our disunity with other people, if we're content in our prejudices towards other people, or our, or, or, sorry, or our hidden biases that we didn't even know were there, or elevating things like greater than the purposes of Christ. We need to repent of that. God has so much more for us. Like imagine the church that would be this unified body of people of barbarian and Scythian and Jew and Greek and slave and free and all like functioning as one body together loving each other like with the same love that Jesus loved us with. We have a long way to go, but I know that Jesus is doing it.
I know that he's praying for that, and it's worth pursuing. So Aaron, why don't you close us? I'll close us in prayer.